In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. What would you say is your favorite quote from Office Space? That way that'll give us something to kind of go into it. Yeah, I don't, there's so many. I mean, but some of them are kind of negative, like the Mondays and stuff. I mean, I know how I'm going to be ending the podcast, but okay. starting it is a little bit different. I mean, okay. the most obvious one is, mm, I'm going to need you to start listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's that's a good... Uh, I mean, I think the Lumberg quotes are probably the ones that I've repeated most throughout my life. The ones, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. Like, that one easily comes up all the time when he's talking to the Bobs about Peter. So, um, but yeah, I would go with the Lumberg. The Lumberg one? That's the one we should yeah. go with? Because honestly, yeah. in my life, the, my friends and I generally quote Milton more than anyone else. Which Milton quotes? Strychnine and the guacamole. Okay, but this is the last <laughs> straw. Took my, took my, took my stapler. I, you know, that's fine. I don't, we didn't really quote Milton quite as much, I think, in college. I mean, I was in college when, when this was like our movie. I don't know, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll, I mean, we'll I'm, we're sort of already talking about it. I, I might just yeah. like kind of soft, soft release this. And if you're listening to this now, that's what I did. But I don't know. So then let's, <laughs> so let's go with, hmm, I'm going to need you to start listening to this podcast now, okay? And if you're not going to listen, I'm just going to have to disagree with you there. <laughs> We're talking about Office Space. <laughs> All right. With uh, Office Space. With special guest Josh Funk. No, not that that Josh Funk. This Josh Funk. The better yes, one. I'm, I'm Josh Funk, the uh, the picture book author, not the one with the IMDb page. Which is crazy, but nonetheless. I mean, actually, that makes... Have you been approached to, like, have people make animated movies out of your picture books? Because your picture books are really good. Oh, that would be really cool. You know what? It's a real, real long shot that that would ever happen. Um, I think it's it's one of those things... I mean, you know more about the movie industry than I do, but I, at one point, Ivan Reitman's production company might have done a treatment of one of my books called Pyrosaurs. I love before, Pyrosaurs. Yeah, but it was before the book came out, and that book didn't do all that well. So, I mean, and even, like, getting a treatment, like, there's still, like, a one in a thousand chance after that happens that that it even becomes anything. A friend of mine has um, wrote, uh, it's now a Disney Channel show, um, Vampirina the Ballerina. Like, she, there are di- characters walking around Disney World that uh, she created. Like, that's, like, beyond a dream. Like, having a movie made is crazy, having a TV show, but, like, having characters walking around an amusement park that you created is insane. You want to eat but, an um, actual French toast with a mustache? Yeah, so Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast is definitely my most popular series, um, and uh, it's yeah, it's done all right, which is but it's it's super fun. I mean, I'm a software engineer. I write picture books on the evenings and weekends, and so the fact that <laughs> I get to make up silly things and have amazing, talented illustrators draw this stuff, and a lot of them actually, a lot of picture book illustrators come from animation. A lot of them were like DreamWorks people, and some of them got laid off years ago. I've seen on Facebook. It was a big deal with all my Facebook friends who were illustrators when all that stuff happened. But, but uh, yeah. Well, so, I, uh, I, we should clarify. I originally heard of Josh uh, through my last podcast. 
I had another podcast called Rachel and Sam Read a Story, where we would sit down with children's uh, picture books and we would read them and we kind of talk about them as we're reading them and we'd either be enjoying them or we wouldn't be. I don't remember how we found Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast. Rachel's a librarian and so she kind of just would like pull things off the shelves. And I think this was just a fun, goofy title. And we were like, well, we clearly must read this. And we loved it because Josh is... What's the technical term? Pun master? master? I don't, yeah, I do puns rarely. I master of, I, I master of rhyme? But I, yeah, you definitely just, because I listened to that, that episode probably 30 times. But, wait, uh, wait, I did, wait, really? Why? Maybe not 30, but at least like, I don't know, five or six, because it was hilarious. You guys dove into that book more than I ever thought of it. There's a page towards the beginning where these <laughs> orange, these oranges are hanging around orange juice fountain. And for me, like, I just wrote the words orange juice fountain at one point. And like the, the pancake and French toast are racing through the fridge causing chaos. And or at orange juice fountain, um, the illustrator drew all these oranges and they're all smiling, happy oranges. And you pointed out, Sam, it was, I remember it, if vividly was you, you're like, these oranges are like praying to orange juice fountain. Think about that. That's their blood. And I was like, that never <laughs> occurred to me. And I wrote the book. I mean, I didn't illustrate it. I didn't tell him to put like oranges around orange juice fountain. The illustrator does all the work on, on their own. And, and he did an amazing job. Brendan Kearney, it's fantastic illustrations, but, uh, but yeah, like that never occurred to me. And I probably read the book a hundred times by that. I'm like, oh yeah, these happy oranges around orange juice fountain. That's kind of weird. I mean, <laughs> so. dark meta comedy is kind of my uh, my go-to. But a lot of the things that people don't know, especially about comic books and children's animated books, is that oftentimes the writer and the illustrator don't even necessarily meet. Like they may have some emails or letters back and forth, but it's even less than that. Really? Less than that. I think, well, so when you're starting out, and that was my very first book, um, and when you're, when you're starting out, everything goes through the publisher. The publisher, and, and it makes sense. Like, I don't know how to make a book. I read a lot of books, but that doesn't mean I know how to make one. I watch a lot of movies. That doesn't mean I know how to make one. And, and so the fact that I, I wrote the words, but, you know, I don't know where the page turns should go. I don't know how to design a cover that's going to look good as a tiny little icon on Amazon and a tiny little and like a face out at Barnes and Noble or an independent bookstore and little things like that. So the fact that they are kind of in control of it, it makes sense. So they would share the illustrations with me. And, and like if I had any questions or issues, like I could tell my editor, but it would all flow through the publisher. And um, I didn't really talk to the illustrator and, I, and I've actually never spoken to him. He lives in England. I live in the, uh, in Boston. And um, yeah, it's I, like you don't even speak the same language. <laughs> uh, well, actually, one of my illustrators is uh, lives in Spain and speaks Spanish. I mean, she the, has, speaks a little bit of English. She's, on she's the one that did the, uh, the dinosaur book, right? Not the no, dinosaur the book, the dragon book. book. Nope, it came out after your your other podcast ended. It's uh, it's a book called Albie Newton, and uh, but her char- characters are adorable and uh, and they're they're perfect. But and I think she speaks English well enough that she can you know converse with an American art director. Um, so I'm I'm not really and, and I've messaged her on on Instagram and things like that, or at least commented on her posts and vice versa. But uh, but yeah, it's. A lot of it goes through the publisher. As my career has gone on, my first book came out three and a half years ago. So, like, over time, I've had a little bit more input on the illustrations just because I know more now than I did then. But, um, you know, at first when I started, and and for the most part, you know, I don't really talk too, too much to the illustrators. Um, One of my illustrators... I, and I talk back and forth a little bit. He asked me specific, like questions like, "Oh, if we're going to do a sequel, should I put these characters here or there?" But but that's really it. 
like I don't I don't know how to do art. I write silly <laughs> words. So. And you're very good at it. And I and Rachel and I had loved your book and it was super fun to talk about. It. And you were one of the first authors that we really had a really positive interaction with. So much so that you sent each of us a copy of one of your later books and we read both of them on the podcast and it was amazing and we loved it and it was wonderful. So thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, it was super fun. And then I even connected you with some other authors. You did some, uh, was it Blobfish Throws a Party book? Yes, we did. Track. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, uh, still, I think we own Blobfish also because I'm pretty sure I have Blobfish sitting on a shelf somewhere. It, it might be here. Yeah, you have a random collection of children's picture books for no apparent reason, don't you? I, that's not no apparent reason. I cherish each of them. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> uh, but we've been kind of talking because, like, I know that... I, I actually didn't know that you were a software engineer. And so I think because of that, it's funny that you chose Office Space. Yeah, well, yeah, yes and no. I think... It, I, I went back and forth for a while when you asked if I wanted to, to jump on the podcast, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And it had to be a movie that I cared about, but one that I didn't care, like, was too precious about, that I didn't want to change it. And um, and so, but as soon as it, this one pops in my head, I was like, oh, this is totally the one. I mean, it's, it's dated enough that, that you could do it again. Um, the, the stuff that's dated, I feel like, is is kind of trivial like it's not really center like plot centric like the y2k stuff like that you know we could come up with some other replacement for what the y2k stuff would be um like oh we need to fix our hacking because the russians are trying to hack us or something like that. something like that because i remember Um, we were sitting and watching this movie i don't remember who i watched i I think i watched it with my friends cam and ed and we're sitting and watching this movie and we're we're fully invested we're in and then he'd say something about oh yeah i'm going through and making all of our software y2k compliant and then, like, all of us would just be immediately ejected from the movie, like, wait, what? Because it's current and it's relevant and it's still good comedy. And then it would date itself just briefly and then we'd be back. Yeah. And and uh, and I think that, it, for the most part, like, if you don't know what that is, it could be any computer thing. So I, this is, I, I watched this with my 14-year-old daughter. Um, this is, I think, the first rated R movie she's ever seen. And she loved it, of course, because it was rated R. This movie's but, uh, rated R? It is, yeah. It, a lot of, a lot of F, F-bombs. Oh, yeah, I guess there is. So, then, uh, but yeah, so, I, I think that if you don't know what that is, you know, if you don't know enough about computers, period, like, Y2K could be, you know, TPS reports or whatever. Like, it could That's be true. a real thing or a fake thing. It doesn't matter. I mean, I've definitely spent enough time working with computers in my day job that there'd be so many different, like, random computer mumbo-jumbo that you could say that everyone would be like, oh, yeah, I immediately accept that as a thing. Right. Um, um, but, yeah, there are some dated things in this movie, for sure. And I, I think, you know, there there's a, there are a few things that, like, some some racist stuff. Some racist that, stuff. Uh, some, some choices of words are not okay. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the scene where Michael Bolton's in the car at the very beginning and he, like, locks his door, um, like, because a guy's selling flowers, like, mm, mm-hmm. that's not cool. And it, and I it know serves... it's character development, but it's not cool. Not even, not really. It doesn't tell us anything about his character other than sure. he's vaguely racist, but that doesn't come back at any other point in the movie. Yeah. It, like, if it he was just, if we established that he was just someone who was scared of everything... That would be one thing, but if it's establishing vague racism, it doesn't do that to the point where, like, ah, well, his best friend is a person of Indian descent, so, but even still. Or Pakistani descent. Yeah. So I, that, that was, 
that I mean that was an issue I had with it, and uh, and really just the the fact that it had a it was a mostly white and male cast. Those are kind of the biggest things that I feel need to be changed. Well, we're gonna fix that. Yes, but uh, let's let's go back to a second. You said you saw this movie uh, for the first time in college. Yeah, so um, I I like everyone else did not see it in the theaters. <laughs> um, I think it it cost. I was looking this up yesterday. I did uh, some just IMDb research, but um, it was uh, it, ma- it cost ten million and it made about ten million. So it was a bust. Um, yep. And I uh, I saw it on on video in two thousand. It was it definitely would have been video back then, and. I think my junior year of college, that was, that was the year 2000, uh, 99, 2000, we watched this movie on repeat, like constantly and quoted it incessantly. And like, this was the movie of my junior year and it was the year that it came out on video. So it wasn't like, you know, 10 years later, it was like that year. Um, honestly, I believe this movie spawned the millennial generation. This movie in particular, you think? Yes. I, so my wife was born in 1981. She likes to uh, tell me, I was born in 79. She likes to always mention that um, she's a millennial and I'm Generation X. <laughs> uh, so, um, but if it came out in 99, 2000, like millennials, if, if that started in 1980, they were, they were 20. They were about to enter the workforce when this movie came out. And the whole point of this movie, I think the tagline is work sucks. And it's, if you had a if you had a million dollars, you could do anything. If you do anything you want, Peter wants to do nothing, and like that basically is I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a Generation X person. I'm looking down at you, millennials, but like that's what millennials are. They just want to. Sir, do I am offended. But I don't know. I don't know. That's that's how I see it. I mean, this this I'm not saying this movie caused millennials to be millennials, but like this was the beginning. Of when they became who they are. See, speaking as someone born in 1988, that's not even necessarily the impression that I got. I just, the reason why I found that compelling is not because he wanted to do nothing. It's because his life had basically been on rails up until that point that like he just did this, did this, did this, this, because that's what came next to the point where he never actually developed the things that he cared about. And as opposed to... Everyone else who has a dream or something that they like doing or something that they'd, if they had a million dollars, that's what they'd want to do. Now, speaking as a bookkeeper, a million dollars will last you a few years, but eventually you're going to have to do something else. Irrelevant. Um, well, that's something we need to change. Yeah. Well, yes. You need a billion now. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> or, or, or at least another zero. Ten million, you're good. I mean, honestly, the budget of the original movie is what we should be aiming for. But basically, like, I think it was more just that, like, because he'd been going through the, just the capitalist work environment his entire life, just doing whatever came next, he never had an opportunity to figure out what it is that he personally desired or wanted to do. Because for me, the millennial generation isn't about wanting to do nothing, it's seeking creative fulfillment in addition to monetary fulfillment. It's being able to appeal to both the left and right side of your brain, you do the side of the brain where it's work, you're doing the, you're earning money and you're, and you're contributing to society, but you're also attending art class, you're playing music or you're, you're writing and you're doing something that helps you also express yourself as an individual. If, I guess I just don't understand millennials then. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all right. I thought it had to do with avocado toast, but maybe that's just hipsters. And you know what? I don't even like avocado. Really? You live in the Southwest, too. I do. I grew up in Arizona. 
So yeah. I'm I'm just an anomaly. Uh, so but, are we assuming everyone knows what this what this movie's about? Do we need to kind of go through it at all? I don't think so. Office Space is basically it, it's one of those movies that just about everyone I know has seen. The fact that I've seen a movie is normally a pretty good indicator. Yeah, I was wondering if you had. I figured you probably had, but yes, you know, I listened to most of season one, so <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan, by the way. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, this is a movie I saw. I'm trying to think of when I saw because this isn't something that I'd seen like played on TV. Like we sat down to watch this movie, and it might have been in college. It might have been in LA. I've definitely seen this movie before, but I think just once. Okay. So I think watching but it for this so many was the quotable lines that people have probably been repeating or scenes that people have been spoofing like the printer scene that have, you know, you that that's been done so many times by I don't know if it's Family Guy or however many different places. So like it's kind of permeated into society at least, you know, case of the Mondays, nobody actually says that, but like I feel like people have probably heard of it and all the Lumberg lines and um some of the the John C. McGillney lines. Like, I feel like a lot of those you probably knew, even if you've only seen this movie once. Probably. I mean, that's true. And then there's also things that I say kind of spun out from this movie. Like, oh, that's that dude's red stapler. Or I have for sure said, man, I really, like, I'm really frustrated with blank. I, like, at one, eventually we're just going to go office space on that thing. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't think is from anything, but it's an expression that I made up and use. Yeah, but people know what you mean. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because yeah. that, that's such a cathartic moment where they... Is it a printer or is it a fax machine? It's a printer. Okay. It's a printer. Where they're finally just just destroying this damn thing. And it it's... Everyone's always wanted to do that. Yeah, I agree. I've never done it, have you? No, but I know that they have things called anger rooms where you can go and destroy things like that. I think there's one in LA, or there certainly was at one point, and I think there's been one in New York, and I, there must be one in Boston. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that, but um, I'll definitely have to Google it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I had a friend who had a podcast called Saint Anger, where he basically had people come in and talk about like the things that made them angry. And he was always talking about ways to kind of vent anger. And then I remember someone had mentioned that these rooms exist. And I was like, that's amazing. So I looked it up. So for those of you who haven't seen Office Space, if there's one or two of you out there, the basic premise in this movie is that Peter is this guy who is just stuck in this job that he hates. And he goes to it every day. And he just, he hates his life. And his girlfriend's cheating on him. And he says, every day is worse than the day before. So every day you see him, it's the worst day of his life. And he gets hypnotized and uh, to be in a nice... Before you keep going, I have to say, like, I don't even remember what the plot of this movie is, like, until I watched it again for the first... Like, the plot is so not important. It, it's really it, not. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like it's a sketch comedy of characters about an office. And not like the show The Office, but just like these... There's such caricatures of everything. Anyway, keep going with, with your... Uh, yeah, like, I don't. I didn't even remember that he was hypnotized, and that was, like, a key plot point until I saw it again. I was like, oh, yeah, he was hypnotized. That's why that he did all this stuff. Well, it's such a funny thing, especially because it's like, oh, he, three sentences, and bam, he's hypnotized. And I remember watching it the first time and going, like, it's... Because at some point, he stays relaxed, 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 and then things keep getting heightened and stressful, and he slowly becomes more uh out of it again but okay so he gets hypnotized to be calmer and he basically just 
all of a sudden has confidence and realizes that he hates what he's doing. So he doesn't really go in. But because of that innate confidence that he has of finally knowing that he just hates what he's doing, now all of a sudden things start going his way. But he'd already put into motion that, like, he knew some friends... Oh, no, he finds out that some friends of his are going to be fired because the company's downsizing or something. And yeah, essentially, he goes into the office and he does. He cares so little that they promote him. Yeah. And they're like, wow, oh, this guy's got it all together. He's, uh, you know, upper management written all over him. And, uh, and yeah, he finds out his friends are going to get fired and he doesn't care. And so they end up trying to steal money through some, like... I don't know, some coding system scheme that, you know, doesn't really make sense to me as a coder. Uh, I mean, it does, but it doesn't. And, uh, and then, and then they're, you know, about to get caught and they don't. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's basically uh, the movie. And then that's not like the point of the movie. The point of the movie is that there's all these, like everyone has a Lumberg in their office. Everyone probably knows a Milton in their office. People definitely, I don't know, there's, there's always the worrier, the, the Tom Smikowski in the office. Like they're, they're just like perfect characters. Uh, And, and I I didn't cast too many, like, I don't know that much sketch comedy people. I know like SNL, I didn't cast too many of those people, but I felt like a lot of them, it was just like, they're playing a character that is like, from a sketch comedy sketch. It's it's, it's very characters and like caricatures, like very yeah. uh, stereotypical uh, office people. But at the same time, this also defined some of those office stereotypes. Yeah. I mean, it's some of those things where you might not have noticed how terrible all this was, but you certainly get the impression that Mike Judge, the writer director worked with some of these people. Like these are, I'm sure direct pulls from times that he worked in an office. Yeah, Milton, I think, was the starting point. Like, he worked with, like, I don't know if the guy's name was Milton, but he worked with Milton, yep. essentially. Yeah, like, because he got, he did a, some Milton animated short first, and then kind of developed that into Office Space. Yeah, which I, like, vaguely remember from SNL around 1990, but, like, I might be, I don't know, fabricating those memories. Wait, because... wait, wait, you're, uh, you're saying this is what, an SNL movie? Like, the, like the Milton animated... No, no, animated... it's not an SNL movie. He, uh... The Milton sketches were on SNL and MTV. Oh, I didn't know that. And I vaguely remember in, like, the Wayne's World, Adam Sandler days, that, like, because I used to watch SNL as as a 10 to 13-year-old around that time, that, that I vaguely remember seeing a Milton sketch. But it might be that I saw it on YouTube later and just think I saw it on SNL. It's possible. Brains are weird. Yeah. Okay, so then let's talk about that. It, it, let, let, let's say so no no um well, i mean sure uh, they sure are tasty right uh but you're saying that because you work as a computer programmer in your day job and so you kind of understand coding if they were trying to do this today like what's the scheme like what do they do because honestly this might still work as a just like a concept of like taking the rounding errors and putting them in a bank account yeah i there's i just don't think it's as simple as putting a couple floppy disks in. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, if you're a good hacker, then maybe you could find a way to to do that. I don't know. I don't know hacking. I Well, here, here's another option. So yeah. let's, I mean, the difference is between when this movie came out in 1999 and now in 2018 is that there aren't really as many. It's actually 2019. Just... Never heard of it. Oh, <laughs> wait, this movie came out 20 years ago. I should look up like the actual date. Oh, the release date is February 19th. So... Nine days from when we're recording this is the 20th anniversary of this movie. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That, oh man, if I'd planned this better. 
I just lost my train of thought. Oh, right. Uh, so what I was going to say is there aren't really small firms like that anymore. They're all like offices of big firms. So even if we take like a, like, let's say a giant warehouse company, let's say we take Amazon, which is notorious, is, uh, has a reputation for having difficult work environments. Sure. Or it could be anything in Silicon Valley. Any, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mike Judge loves Uber, making Silicon Valley workplace comedies, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He knows his stuff. So. I mean, any like it could be any one of those companies, like those large whatevers. And the reason why I say I suggest Amazon or whatever company like that is because they could make a thing where there's so many transactions happening every day through or PayPal even. So many transactions happening every day through PayPal that they can they can write a code that will add a penny to every purchase and that penny goes into the their their extra bank account. Right. Yeah, no, this could I mean, in theory, work. And I mean, if I can't poke a hole in it as a software engineer who knows nothing about this, then, you know, most people can't. I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't have to actually work because we're not actually writing the code. We can just say, yeah. uh, science says. And has anyone actually seen Superman 3? And did this happen in it? Because I, I don't remember Superman 3. And I've did... never seen it. Yeah. Well, that's not surprising. Well, sure. I've seen the first two. <laughs> okay. I definitely did, but I was probably five years old. Yeah, I mean, it. I watched the two good ones. Okay. And it's a superhero movie. I should have seen it, to be honest. Um, yeah, well, you know you know some Superman people. We no. should probably check with them to see if Superman actually did the office space trick, or vice versa. I really should ask Chris. I mean, that's a good question. Show, show notes or something. Yeah, for sure. Uh, or i do it in that mini-episode before. Oh, that works. Um, okay, but... Because th- that's kind of like their plot motivation like that's what they're gonna do instead of being fired but like what kind of i mean it's just a generic office so many of these offices still exist that we kind of still have to put it there yeah oh i've worked in one or two or five and i have i also have worked in one or two or five and still kind of have clients in one or two or five of these yeah i mean it's just a cubicle farm absolutely what it is it's a cube farm I mean, and, we we what would be interesting would be if it wasn't even their offices. They were just working in like a random WeWork. It was some company that literally cut costs everywhere to the point where they didn't even have their own office or their own building. That they just rented cubes. Do you know what WeWork is? Uh, I think I can figure it out based on. Yeah, we don't have those out in Boston, or at least not that I know of. But they, I know there's like communal office space areas and things like that. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It, it it could be any of those, but I mean, but it would still need to be updated. So what would, so let, let's do this before we even get into plot. What would be their new uh, printer? Is Would it still be a printer or would it be something else? What's the piece of technology that you find the most frustrating at your office to work with? Because I have. Printers can be frustrating. Oh, they so for sure can. Now. Um, yeah. I have, I have one in mind for you if, if you don't have an immediate answer. No, I don't. Go for it. The Wi-Fi router. Oh, okay. Yeah, people plugging in, like, can't connect. Yeah. Things aren't. It goes out at the mm-hmm. wrong time. Everything's been uploaded and then it cuts out at the last second and then you have to do everything again. I have for sure had Wi-Fi routers that I have wanted to take out into the streets and destroy. Okay, that's a good one. I approve. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but because th- th- the other random thing that's going on in this movie is that Peter is kind of starting to date Joanna, which is this waitress that works at one of the restaurants nearby that kind of everyone in the office knows because it's Jennifer Aniston and she's gorgeous. Yeah. So that's the thing about her is 
I felt like she had no character. Like, there was really nothing about her. Yeah. She was just a prop. And I didn't really love that. I, I, I felt like she was also the biggest star in the movie, like, by far, which was the interesting thing. I'm trying to think. I mean, she kind of is. No one else in the movie, with the exception of uh, his neighbor, with the exception of Lawrence, maybe. Yeah, but she was a star on Friends making a million dollars an episode at that point. I this mean, is, oh, this is 1999. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah, I mean, Friends started in the early 90s, so, or mid-90s, whatever. So she was definitely the biggest star. And um, I think for her, you know, we were used to seeing her as, I guess everyone on Friends is kind of whiny. But um, but she was at least like a little more bubbly on Friends. So for for her, this was, I don't want to say a darker movie, but or a darker role. But it was definitely like... She was a more negative character than we were used to seeing Jennifer Aniston at that time. I mean, Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Aniston flipping someone off is quite a bold move. Yeah, it is, and and I think like that's fine, but we still don't really know anything about her. I think that's kind of my thing. We just like, uh, well, I mean, we know she doesn't like her job. We don't really know that much about Peter either, other than he doesn't like his job. So, I mean, the I honest truth is that as we're sitting and watching this movie, we felt honestly bad for her to the point where Peter all. Uh, cracked out on hypnosis walks in asks her out and they have lunch and we couldn't believe that she was falling for the dude and to the point where he's like oh yeah no i'm just gonna go home and watch kung fu movies and we're and like kung fu movies i love kung fu movies and then my friend ed goes that's what did it and that's what did it just like oh two people who like kung fu movies what are the it's odds almost it's almost like they needed to get a woman in there and they didn't know how. <laughs> and so this was the best they could do. Because God forbid it be someone who else who works in the office and is a computer programmer. Exactly. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying we should... I don't want to cut the character because I think that it yeah. gives him someone to talk to who's not... Who is unfamiliar with the situation and who he not can explain things to. Yeah. So I think that that, that character serves an important role... And I think it's another opportunity for comedy, and I think the love interest is important. I just would make her more of a character and less of a, a gosh, isn't she pretty? Yeah. That said, I like the flair jokes. Oh, yeah, flair's funny. I Have you ever waited tables? I did that, too. I did not have to wear flair. No, I, I spent a summer working at a dinner theater. So, I know you accidentally watched Waiting instead of Waitress, and you hated it. <laughs> I sure did. Or you hated the 20 minutes that you watched. But as somebody who waited tables for years, Waiting was not nearly on par of Office Space, but it did hit a lot of those inside jokes for me as somebody who waited tables and hated it. So um, I didn't hate it as much. I actually liked it a lot. But I understand that if you didn't wait tables, you probably hate Waiting, because everyone else I shared it with hated that too. When uh, when I worked at because I was a I was eighteen when I worked at the Gaslight Theater and because you have to be nineteen in Arizona in order to serve alcohol I couldn't be one of the actual waiters so I was the popcorn guy which means that I had to get in first like kind of roll out this gigantic machine that made popcorn take like one of those twenty gallon drums of fake butter hook up everything basically make popcorn and set it out on all of the tables for the uh, for the dinner theater. And to the point where now I can't really eat theater popcorn again because it's so gross. I'm sorry for you for that. Did you have to wear a costume? Like, uh, I can imagine you in, like, red stripe, white, red and white stripe. Was that a candy striper? I think uh, so. No, I had to wear uh, a t-shirt for the show that was currently playing, which 
now as a, a hipster adult, I think they're super fun. Like I have a, a shirt that says Natman on it. Not Batman, Natman, like the tiny little buzzing thing. And I had one for like a Three Musketeers show. And then I had to wear like the red apron over it and I had to wear a, a red visor. Okay, so but, it wasn't like a 50s ice cream salesman, because for whatever reason, I'm picturing that kind of thing. Well, that's good, because that was basically the things we served. Like, I had to go get ice cream and diner food for everybody, because after I was done doing popcorn, I was the runner running back and forth getting the food for, like, the people who ordered it. Like, the waiters, wait staff would put in the food, and then I'd go get it. So I'd wait, come so home. What, what is the worst job you've had? Is that the worst job you've ever had? No, no, the worst job I've ever had was working in an office. I worked, uh, I worked for a digital magazine and it's just, the thing about bad jobs is that they're bad jobs because you don't like the people you work with. And even a job that's not, that's not fun that you don't enjoy. If you're working with good and interesting people, you, you can tolerate it. And like, I've had a job where I was super bored all day just doing computer work, but I liked the people I was working with. So it wasn't that bad. This job where I was basically doing nothing all day and could cruise the internet i hated the people i worked with not all of them i hated some of the people i worked with and that made it terrible and that's kind of i think the issue of this movie i think he has these two friends and those are like his people that he likes and he can hang out with them after work but those aren't really his uh like those those aren't the people he works with he works with uh lumberg he works with the uh whatever the name of the company is just a moment and the case of the mondays lady and it's just those people just make offices unbearable and that's what a lot of millennials deal with is they talk about how well they have to have these subsistence jobs because the economy's in the toilet and it's uh, really really difficult to get like a real person job or get a job that you're actually interested in doing and just these subsistence jobs are just filled with people who make it worse, even though we're all suffering together. And instead of trying to make the world around you better, you try to make it worse for other people, which of course just makes it worse for you. But I might be projecting. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I see what you're saying. They're all good points. But but that's why I think that Office Space, even 20 years later, is 20 years minus nine days is still so relatable because we've... like. We know those people. Yeah, I brought this up with with a few people of late and like a couple that I was going to do this on this podcast and a couple people said uh, how that that movie is so perfect. I'm like, yeah, it might be perfect, but when was the last time you actually watched it? So I think it is due for an update. That's why I think it's perfect for this podcast. And Uh, I agree. But (laughs) the honest truth is that I would keep a lot of things the same. I would just modernize them. You 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 don't need a woman working a switchboard you can have like things being plugged in and figuring out how honestly if you work in one of those offices where you have to deal with crazy phone systems you might have to office space the phone system take it yeah. outside and destroy it yeah i don't even use a phone anymore who uses phones it's a mystery yeah yeah so i i think that you're right i would keep a lot of the storyline the same and for the most part the characters who they are the same not the actors and but yeah i i don't have like wholesale changes to the world I think that, um, yeah, no, that's very bad. <laughs> so here's a question for you. Yeah. Why does Lumberg hate Peter? Because up until that point, up until the point of this movie, Peter had been coming in every day and doing his job. And for all intents and purposes, with the exception of not necessarily putting on a cover sheet, but then fixing it and, like, adjusting the problem, he'd been a fairly competent good worker. So 
theoretically, there's no reason for Lumberg to not want this dude to get a promotion other than the fact that he he doesn't like it when people he had working for him become his equal. Other uh, than the fact that he's just an I asshole. Think that he sees he sees Peter for exactly who he is, which is somebody who does the bare minimum just to not get in trouble, which is what Peter admits that he is. And Lumberg knows that. And so I'm not saying Lumberg's like out to get him and get him fired or anything, but like Lumberg for for all his, you know, annoying and obnoxious characteristics, I don't think that he I think that he is he sees his employees for who they actually are. So is 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 Lumberg a good boss or a bad boss? I don't think he's a good boss because a good boss would, you know, be try to help their employees and feel like they had a purpose. But he's but he's also so in, from that respect he's he's not a good boss. I don't know. Now I'm starting to feel like I'm projecting as <laughs> I am Peter. But um but I but I don't think that he's like an evil boss. But I don't think he's supposed to be. I think he's supposed to be like that boss who just wants he I mean he is he might be Peter as a boss, you know, maybe he, he just wants to keep making making money for the stockholders or the shareholders or whoever, uh, you know. And so his stock goes up, you know, half a point and they're going to start laying people off because that's the way things go. Like, you know, he is. Oh, and, you know, next Friday is Hawaiian shirt day because like that's what bosses do, not because he wants to be the boss that does that. I felt there were a couple moments where I actively felt bad for Lumberg, like his birthday party. That was really sad. Oh my god! And I was <laughs> his party. I didn't remember that scene either. It's like a funeral dirge when they're singing his birthday song. <laughs> and it, and he just like he seems happy because he seems like yeah, this is this is what I get. This is this is uh, this is the joyful moment. I read that in that he they filmed a scene where he was angry about his car getting busted when they towed the car his like Porsche or whatever and um that scene got cut but Gary Cole was happy it was cut because it was the one scene where his character's emotion changed and throughout the rest of the movie he's got the same emotions like the same kind of whatever chill emotion that and that it, it, it didn't fit with the rest of his character um and i totally agree that having that cut was probably a good thing but yeah even the birthday party when they're he's disagreeing about peter getting a promotion all of that is he's got pretty much the same the same attitude i mean he's basically dead inside right <laughs> yeah and so we'll need to a find someone who can play dead inside but also it's like i uh... I I agree with you. I think that that could be Peter in five, ten years, who continues to let his life be on rails, and he just gets to the point where he's just like, "Yeah, these are these are the steps. These are the things that need to be done. This is what follows." Oh, I never thought of that. Is he like the ten or fifteen year later version of Peter? And it would also make sense as to why uh, Jennifer Aniston would have been drawn to him because it's the same sort of person really it's just someone deeply sad and broken inside and i guess no, that's she her type. The other lumberg oh that's right <laughs> eh, whatever the lumberg who moved to florida or something which but. is oh that was such a weird bit i honestly i think it's more interesting if she sleeps with that with this lumberg okay so we could do that because it's because it's so male and testosterone like well you i can't believe you slept with this guy as if he has any say in the matter and also, it's like, what is it? Oh, no. If you slept with someone else, therefore it's okay and we can still date. Yeah. 
I honestly think it's better if she just sleeps with Lumberg. Okay. That that works for me. Instead of having some weird blonde uh frosted tips dude come in and say, Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna make weird bad I just I cut that guy because I hate him. So I didn't cut him, I just didn't recast him. The O face guy, yeah. Yeah. My wife did not want me. I watched this with her. She was like, Oh, please don't recast that guy. Um Yeah, the she, Drew Drew, we yeah. call him the O face guy. He he does nothing for this movie that is con- contributory. But the other thing I was going to say is we can make... Lum- there's Basically, there's two ways to do Lumberg. We can do Lumberg kind of as he is, like the sad, emotionally dead inside Peter in 10 years. The other option is that we can kind of turn him into the the bad boss that no one would want to work with now. The He does all this, but he's also kind of uh, like macho ego male prick who kind of like the reason he's not promoting someone is because they're a woman or they're this or they're that and so he's like just like prejudice the way that i cast lumberg was that he says all of the horrible things in a way that is not horrible like he's he's so nice and blase about it but he's being a total dick the whole time does that, that make sense? That's sort of how I cast him too. It'll be fun to see yeah. if you got the same person. Yeah, yeah. Would you want to? Do you want to start there? Or do you no, no, no. With... I, I, I want to. I want to do a little bit more plot stuff first. Okay. Gotcha. Because the other thing I wanted to talk about how about Lumberg is that he's basically middle management, right? Like he's not in charge. He's a vice president. Yeah. Oh, he's a vice president. Even still. Well. Yeah. No, he's not the owner of the company, but they do talk about how like they make it point to say like so his stock can so Lumberg stock can go up. Got it. Um, okay. All right, that makes so, more yeah, sense. yeah, middle management, but the upper side of middle management. Well, the reason why is because I'm still thinking in terms of, like, big firm. Like, he's the dude who's in charge of, like, he's the manager of this branch of whatever office. Yeah, or head of the department. Be- and, like, the multi-billion dollar whomever who actually owns the company is off somewhere in their yacht actually screwing everyone over and Lumberg kind of has to, like, make the best of it. But if he's a so, vice president, then nuts to that guy. Company, uh, well, so companies I've worked for, um, in the past, and and they're they're all fine companies. I wouldn't cast them as as the Inatex of the world, but they, <laughs> um, the it's usually like the CEO or the president is kind of like does the overseeing, but they're still there day to day. I feel like, um, and and I I'm more of a medium sized company person, like not a large size company, so I don't know what it's like in these giant corporate ones. Um, but the, the vice presidents sort of do like the different divisions. Like there's the vice president of the sales. There's the vice president of engineering. There's the vice president of, I don't know what he was the vice president of, but he was the vice president of something. So he managed like a large group of people that all had one specific task in my, that's in my head. I mean, that's just because of the world that I come from. So yeah, I don't necessarily think that the, the owner of the company's off on a yacht, but but the owner of the company is more about the bottom line and the money where as opposed to like getting the day-to-day stuff done. I think that's fair. Like, I agree with like that. But he goes in on weekends and he says, "Where are you on the weekends?" Like you were supposed to be here. He's obviously there. That's true. I mean, he it's not like he has a life outside of the office. Yeah. Again, just further making it sad. Yeah, he's Peter in 15 years. Just poor sad Lumberg. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> um and then the and so the other thing I wanted to talk about was the stapler. Ah, yeah. Because honestly, uh, what's the? I don't remember the name of the company that makes the red stapler. But at the time, they did swing not. It's a red swing line stapler. Yeah. yeah. At the time, they didn't have a red stapler. That wasn't a thing that existed that they made. Yeah. And... Well, it was only like four or five years old. But yeah. 
Or they had stopped making it. Yeah, okay, they'd stopped making it. But then this movie made it so popular that now there's, there's, you can see Red Swing Line staplers everywhere. Oh, yeah. I think I had one at one point for a while. I, I always comment on it because like, I work in, because I'm a bookkeeper for a bunch of different companies all over town, so I'm constantly going to different offices and places, and I'm constantly seeing Red Stapler here, Red Stapler there. Oh, yeah, and even in TV shows, I, um, I, I know you've cast people from iZombie before, and I actually oh, yeah. started... I started watching it. I didn't cast anybody for for this from that, but I started watching it because you had mentioned it a few times, and I'm only on the first season, but I love it. But I, I think on the second episode, she grabs a red stapler off someone's desk. Um, it, might be, it might have even been the first episode. She grabs a red stapler because she's like klepto for red things. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, it's been a while since I've seen that episode, but that, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's funny. I didn't even think about that. Fun. I love that show. It's, I, I'm I mean, too... it's a def- yeah, it's a definite reference. Yeah, I'm two seasons behind. I need to get caught up. Honestly, like, even in a modern context, I, I feel like that red stapler is so iconic that you can't replace it. You can't do anything. I think you need to still have the red stapler, but I think the it, it would be so easy to make that red stapler such a focal point when you, it can't. They need to just throw the red stapler joke away. Unless the company is Swingline. I mean, that would be funny. Like, and they literally sell and make red staplers. <laughs> that's, yeah, I, that's one way to go. I mean, that would be funny. The term that I use, by the way, to throw a joke away is to not put any importance on it. I don't know if you're familiar with the that particular phrasing of it. Okay, that's fine. Uh, you're using your Hollywood lingo. On. I'm using my Hollywood lingo. To, to take a joke and throw it away, it's like you make the joke and then you move on, as opposed to, eh, you see that thing I did? Yeah, you should, yeah. Okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not tied to the Red Stapler, but I am. There has to be a Milton character. Oh, yeah, I for sure recast Milton. I'm, I recast eight people. I did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then plus the writer-director, uh, yeah. writer-slash-director, whatever. Yeah, I, okay, I'm, I'm curious if your ninth is one that, like, I just didn't care about, but yeah. It's probably Tom Smikowski. Yes, he is my ninth. Uh, and I did throw somebody out for him, but, like, I think because the guy who plays him is just a character actor to begin with. Yeah. I didn't, I was like, eh, just He was so good. Actor. Like, honestly, his, I, the essence of his character was so interesting to me because he, he's kind of Peter in, in 30, 40 years. Let's assume, let's assume he's, or, or no, he's Michael Bolton in 30, 40 years. Yeah. Because he's. Constantly worrying. Exactly. And then he finally is like completely crippled, but he's happy. Right, because he finally doesn't have to worry anymore, and now and that that huge weight literally had been pressing him down his entire life. That all of a sudden it's not anymore. That it, he can't help but be happy because all of a sudden he's free. Yeah, he never has to worry about money. Yeah, and it's it, it's so small and simple and petty, but it, like honestly, that's Michael Bolton eventually. Yeah, so I, that's that's a good call. I didn't say I didn't suggest that we didn't need that character. He's, you just, he's just not character. worth recasting. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I don't know, he's one of those people that's like, get whatever character actors they, but I, I do have someone for him, actually, that I thought of later, so, yeah. We'll see, I mean, we'll get, okay. I mean, we may as well get into casting now. Yeah, let's do it. So, I mean, the place to start for us really is Peter. Yeah. So, would you like me to start, or would you like to go first? No, no, I'm, I'm gonna go first. I, I, so there's, first, let's, let's point out that the cast, other than Samir, is all white unless you include orlando jones um and yeah. and then also or and the lawyer um who i i didn't recast either of those yeah no but, um, absolutely not 
and then uh, and it's almost all male. So there, I tried to mix a lot of that up as I went. Um, but for Peter, I I stuck with um, I stuck with a guy. Um, as and, did I. Uh, I I don't know if you uh, I cast William Jackson Harper, who plays Cheedy on The Good Place. I love Cheedy. I thought that he could play a character that is stressed out all the time. But I would love to see. Now I'm all, I've only watched two seasons, so don't tell me anything that happens on. Season I will three. say nothing. But I want to see him like zoned out and relaxed all of a sudden. Yeah, I would love to see him do that. So I could see him being that stressed out character, but that just kind of chill all of a sudden. <laughs> so yeah, I mean he's kind of a vanilla character. There's he kind not really of is. Much to him. Absolutely. So I mean, I guess a lot of different people could be him. Um, at one point, I thought maybe Daniel Radcliffe could be him. But um, but uh, I, I my my final final call was for for William Jackson Harper. Interesting. I like that idea. I'm not opposed to that. My Peter is Dev Patel. Interesting. And so the, he he definitely came up when I was looking for a Samir. Depending on what direction we go with Samir, right? He's really young. He's only 26. Yeah. I mean, is he that like disillusioned already? Oh, sure. Absolutely. You want a millennial who's disillusioned? You get a 26-year-old. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I could see that. And he was, uh, I mean, because he, he, he's had such a fantastic uh, acting career. And he's played so, and actually he's 28. He's 1990. Oh, okay. He's two okay. years younger than me. And, like, he, his character in Newsroom and... In the most, ex- the best exotic Marigold Hotel, and he plays, he goes back and forth between playing the, like, the super, like, stressed out person who needs to make sure he gets everything right, but then he also can play the person who's kind of, kind of quiet, conf- quietly, confidently going through life. And what kind of put Dev Patel in my head is that I recorded with, uh, a friend of mine named Meredith. Don't tell her I said she's my friend. And, she she likes Dev Patel because she finds him very attractive, and so there are people who are very attractive who just kind of kind of have the have the quiet confidence of someone who is very attractive and knows they're very attractive, and so it's going back and forth between like the quiet confidence of like, well, life's gonna be okay for someone like me, versus if I don't get this right, everything that I've been working towards is going to fall apart, and just like those two things, just kind of like constantly battling it out in his brain. Yeah, I mean, Dev Patel is a good call for that. I forgot about him on uh, the newsroom show, and I think he could play like the techie guy too. That's pretty. That's a. That's kind of a key for this being believable in 2019. He, cer- he um, certainly fits the stereotype of a computer programmer in 2019. Well, I was even thinking just from the acting perspective. Didn't he do kind of like techie-related computer stuff? He was kind of doing background things. He in was newsroom. the he was the social media guy on newsroom. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, well, I think that for the Peter character, it doesn't, he could be friends with any of the other characters, like his neighbor or whatever. He could interact with Lumberg in certain ways. The one that I think that he has to be paired with is Joanna. Right. So, so do you want to talk about Joanna? For Joanna. My Joanna is Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I know her from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She is the, she's the love interest to, uh, to Andy Samberg, the lead, which, I didn't do intentionally. And the and she's kind of the neurotic. She puts together whole binders of presentations. She is an uber nerd. 
who happens to also be a police detective. But she does it because she wants to help people. She wants to make the world a better place. But she's just this unbelievable, like, bookish teacher's pet. So is she still working in a restaurant? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I had Mackenzie Davis. Tell me about Mackenzie Davis. So she is Cameron from Halt and Catch Fire. She's tall, which might be a problem for Chidi. Uh, for William Jackson Harper. Um, she was also in a really fun movie called What If uh, with Daniel Radcliffe. And uh, she was I, eventually dating and married to Adam Driver in that movie. Oh, um, she's, in Blade was, Ru- she's in Blade Runner 2049. Uh, I didn't see that one. But, she's but great she, in Blade Runner 2049. Okay. So I felt like she has that like dark side where she could be like angry and pissed off based on things that I've seen in Halt and Catch Fire. And and I felt like kind of that that angry side is what we need more of from from the the Joanna character. Like we saw it a little bit when Jennifer Aniston flips people off, but like I want her to be like super skeptical and you know questioning of even more questioning of Peter's motives. Maybe like when she's stealing stuff and and have have real depth to her character. And I mean, she needs more depth. Period. But so I don't know Melissa Fumero, but I'm, you know, I'm. I'm no, I, I actually. That she's good. No, I, yeah. I actually agree with Mackenzie Davis. I think you're right. I think we need a little bit more of the fire underneath everything. I don't think we need someone who's able to pay, play like a people pleaser. I think we need someone who is stuck in a situation, is trying to make the best of a bad situation until eventually it breaks her. Okay, uh, how tall is Dev Patel? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Oh, well, a little bit. I mean, she's pretty tall, Mackenzie Davis, I think. It doesn't. So. I mean, I think, I think, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think he's pretty tall. Let me see. Yeah, I think he is too. So I think he'd be okay. So, all right. I'm, I'm cool with Dev Patel and Mackenzie Davis going, going together. All I can right. see that working. Uh, Dev Patel's 6'2. All right. Perfect. I don't, I haven't seen Chidi in anything else. So. I think this yeah. is his first big break. I'm sure he's done other things, yeah. but. Have like, you passed him in anything yet? I don't, I So heard. many. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Then I must have missed those ones. Uh, um, ha- have you listened to Splash yet? I don't know. He I, co- he comes up a lot. All I of the people from the Good Place come up. The first half of Splash, and then I realized I didn't remember anything about it, <laughs> so I, I needed to watch it again. But then I realized I'm not sure I want to watch it again. But it, uh, it's not yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. So so Deb Patel and Mackenzie Davis. I like that. I could see them together. Yeah. So. Let's talk about Michael Bolton, because Michael Bolton, I'm fairly confident that there's really only one correct casting for Michael Bolton. Really? Yeah. Okay. Aubrey Plaza? No, but that's funny. For me, it's Andy Samberg. Okay. The reason why is because Andy Samberg and Michael Bolton happen to be friends. Like, the actual Michael Bolton, the singer. Yeah, have you seen the, uh, the... This is the tale of Captain Jack Sparrow. Oh, no, but he did a, an Office Space. Michael Bolton did an Office Space recast, like the actor. I oh, mean, yeah? Singer. Yeah, they did it on the, uh, what's that comedy station they have on YouTube? The Andy McKay one. Uh, Adam McKay one. Um, oh, I don't know. Well, anyway, that, yeah, you should definitely look it up. It's uh, um, And so I just think it's, I just thought that, that that would be really, really funny just because Andy Samberg has been, he also happens to be a singer and a musician and to have him playing Michael Bolton just tickles me in a way that it's like, it's an inside, it's a casting inside joke. And I find okay. that delightful. Yeah. I love I mean, Aubrey I Plaza. Like, I like Andy Samberg. Aubrey Plaza, I thought, you know, she could just be like the pissed off 
and, and it would have to be somebody else. Like, See, the thing is, Michael Bolton can't be Michael Bolton anymore. I don't think. I think we need to change who that is. Interesting. I think we need to change the name. Because that's a 20-year-old reference. Like, my, my daughter doesn't know who Michael Bolton is. Here's the thing. Um, I don't think it is. Because the crazy thing is that Michael Bolton is still pretty current because he's doing all of these pop culture things. Because he's doing the, uh, the Lonely Island songs. But he's not lame anymore. That's the problem. He, it needs to be somebody who's, who's lame or their fans are lame. So, so do you want to switch it from I Michael he, Bolton to Michael Buble? No, I was going to say Adam Levine. But, um, because that's also a relatively common name. Buble, probably not. I thought Aubrey Plaza could be Kelly Clarkson. That's where I was going. That that's funny, but and I don't dislike Kelly Clarkson. Like she seems cool to me. Yeah, you know, she's, she's even written picture books. Um, I mean, but, there, therefore she's awesome. Yes, exactly. So okay, uh, well, so let's talk. Debatable. The celebrity picture book is kind of an iffy thing. But. We read the How Roland Rolls, the the Jim Carrey book about a wave. Yeah, and B.J. Novak's picture book is pretty good. I mean, there's there there's B.J. B.J. Novak's is great. The How Roland Rolls is so weird. I think Jim Carrey self-published his, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but he, he decided that he wasn't even going to go with, like, an, anyone editing it. Like, he just did it himself. So, But th- then, if we're casting Aubrey Plaza, then that's a completely different character portrayal. Because she really only... I've seen her in a bunch of different things, and her characters are often very similar. They're they, angry. They have, yeah. They're angry, okay. they're bitter, and they take no crap from no one. That, those are her earlier characters. She's been in some movies to, I don't know, what was that, Mike and Dave meet wedding dates? She was a little different in that. A um, little, but even still. Yeah. Um, it does, we don't have to gender flip that one, um, but I do think that some of the, one of the three office uh, people in the office has to be a woman. Oh, yeah. I cast a woman for Samir. So let's talk about who we have for Samir, and then we'll kind of figure out what, what we like best. Because well, I, the thing I, about Samir was that I didn't, I, I think that his name and how it was hard to pronounce is a commentary on how white people are so white-centric that they don't care to learn other people's names. And so that was more of like a social commentary kind of thing, making white people look stupid, which I am okay with. I didn't find that racist. How did you feel about that? Um, speaking as a white person who has a last name that looks really simple, but people constantly mispronounce, yeah, no, I got it. Okay, so you're okay keeping that joke and that line of who he is? Oh, yeah. I think that that's okay. incredibly common. And I think that the the joke that a lot of people do now, and that I think that what a lot of people do is that they'll, they'll give someone an unwanted nickname. Sure. Yeah. And especially if Samir is a different name, but a female character, where it's just demeaning to this poor woman. Like, they like, hey, I'm going to infantize... Infant- infantilize you further and give you like a really like childish nickname that is not your name because I'm not willing to admit that I can't pronounce your name. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good way to characterize them. So yeah, it has to be an immigrant or I don't know if they have to have an accent, but their name at least has to be foreign to your average, whether or not you want to call them racist white person or not, but. All right. Well, have fun spelling this. Uh, The person that I have for Samir is an actress named Aparna Nansherla. Okay. You had me at Aparna. Well, that's what IMDb had auto-completed it there. I don't know if I've seen her in these things, but what have you seen her in? 
I've actually heard a lot of her voice work more than I've heard her, her live, like live acting. Got it. Um, I, I actually had someone else for this role, but then I was convinced by a friend of mine to cast Aparna because I have a friend in development and she was like, no, 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 Aparna is the correct thing because this, this, and this. I was like, all right. Uh, because we were sitting and watching Bob's Burgers and there's an, there's an episode that Aparna is in and she's playing uh, a friend to Tina, uh, her science fair partner. I don't know if you know the episode. Doesn't matter. No, no, I I don't, but that's okay. She's playing a character named uh, Sasmida, or Sasmida, excuse me, and just super fun and amazing. And then she's also a voice actor in uh, Steven Universe, which is lovely. Yeah. And she she's a stand-up comedian, and she's obviously got a complicated name, so she'd be... Or a complicated from our white male perspective... And would be able to kind of like comment on that. Yeah, I think that's a perfect that's a perfect casting. I I I went back and forth, and I'm and I was trying to think. You know, am I I I actually started looking up Asian American, Indian American um, actors, and uh, you know, Dev Patel obviously came up in there as as one. Um, but I couldn't really find anybody that was perfect. This this Aparna sounds like the best one, better than anything I I worth even mentioning <laughs> so i don't know i mean i i thought for gender flopping uh, you know the, the none, no one was no one was right for gender flipping this one did i say gender flopping you did That's not what we said. and I, yeah. I i had several jokes go through my head and all of them were involved shouting things <laughs> as you jumped in a pool yeah gender okay, flop well, splash oh no i'm wearing a bikini <laughs> Okay. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh at that or not. No, but, it, Okay, yeah, it, let's go with the Parna. Okay, the Parna. cool. So then, with that in mind, who do we want to go with for Michael Bolton or whomever? I'm not opposed with surrounding Dev Patel with two women. Especially because the whole thing is like, hey, it's these people who are being ignored in their job and who gets passed over for promotions more than women and people of color. And they're both getting laid off. Right, even worse. Yeah, I'm kind of 50-50 on either one. You still think Michael Bolton should be the actor, though? I uh, should be the name, though, the character name. I just think it's funny, especially if people are really into Michael Bolton, and I I think it's even funnier now. It's like, oh yeah, I'm really into Michael Bolton, and they're referencing songs from 20 years ago because that's the stuff that they like. And then this person's like, oh yeah, no, he did a really good job in Teen Titans Go. In what? <laughs> and it's yeah. just like honestly, they're two different worlds to the character of Michael Bolton now. Yeah, but I All again, right. I, I, but I, I, and I, I thought it was funny, uh, but. I'm also perfectly happy to make it Kelly Clarkson. All right, let's do Aubrey Plaza, Kelly Clarkson. All right, because that way our movie's a little bit different. Yeah. Okay, so who's next? Milton. Yes. So, <laughs> see, now we're getting to the characters. So those those four characters, I feel like, they're, interestingly, other than Jennifer Aniston, who is already a star, none of them, none of those other three went on to do anything. Not really, uh, no. Much afterwards. But all of the character actors have had consistent work, if not amazing work, going forward, except for Tom Smikowski, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, Stephen Root's been in so many things, and uh, and fantastic in so many of them. And he's been a, a different kind of character in a lot. I was trying to think of someone who's kind of a nut job. And, and I felt like, you know, for, for Milton, for Lawrence, for Lumberg, and for Bob Slidell, they, they all kind of have gone on to do... A lot of fun stuff afterwards those actors but they're also 
like a sketch comedy. Like they're a single sketch for that one actor. Just right. kind of over and over again throughout the movie. So, but for Milton, he's such a weirdo. So I, I was thinking like, oh, could Chris and Wig do it? Then I thought maybe uh, Evan Peters, because he plays weirdos sometimes on, on American Horror Story. But eventually I was like, I landed on David Arquette. Ooh, interesting choice. Why David Arquette? Because he just seems like he's a nut job in real life. And and he could he could probably play that role pretty easily and just exaggerate his I don't know him in real life. I'm not you know, David, if you're listening, I don't actually think you're a nut job, but I, I think that it he, he just he plays it so well in so many different ways, uh uh throughout pretty much that's all he ever plays. He never plays like a normal person. I, I like Pushing Daisies a lot. That's one of my favorite shows of all time. It's because and, Pushing uh, Daisies is amazing and glorious. Yeah. It's and and so like he's kind of a uh if you just exaggerated that character and maybe repressed a few more things in that character, I could see him becoming Milton. David Arquette suits up for Jennifer Aniston's birthday bash with stylish wife Christina. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking up David Arquette. I just worry that David Arquette's too attractive. Really? Really? He's not that attractive on uh, Pushing Daisies, is he? I who, remind me who he played on Pushing Daisies. He was he was uh, the um, uh, Stephen Root was also on Pushing Daisies for a handful of episodes. Uh, he played, um, what do they do when they stuff the animals? Um, he, the taxidermist. He was dating, yeah, it was the taxidermist and... Was he the taxidermist he, who, like, could smell death? No, no, that was Pee Wee Herman. Oh, right. Yeah, no, he was a taxidermist, he was a, Pee Wee Herman was like the sniff guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was a taxidermist who dated, he was, like, when, how can I Chuck? say her name? The, the one who could sing. Oh, um, uh, oh, Chris uh, and Chenoweth. Chris yeah. Chenoweth. So yeah, yeah. Chris and Chenoweth. When he, when Chris and Chenoweth was trying to get over, um, oh, he was the dude who was obsessed with Chris and Chenoweth. Yeah, he liked Chris and Chenoweth. Yeah, she, he, he was to her what she was to the pie maker. Right. That's right. Okay. He was yeah. In a couple episodes. Like yeah, yeah. Two or three I remember him being sweet, and everyone was like, "Oh, buddy, no." Yeah, but he was on the Friends. He like the make an episode when they were trying to make like there was like a make a friend company. And he was a suspect in killing somebody because, like, people were paying for friends or whatever. Right. And, yeah, so he was somebody who was paying for a friend. And that just seems like something Milton would do. If But but Milton wouldn't do because he's a little too nuts for that. So if you just make that character a little more something. <laughs> David Arquette. Ah, who did you have? I had an actor named Chris Grace. Chris Grace, I just misspelled his name is he was on Superstore, he's been in Broad City, he was on the kids' show Thundermans. He is just a... Oh, I watched Thundermans because I have kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's funny. And so he kind of, like, has, like, that weird, set, like, comedy thing, especially since those are the comedies he's on, that he kind of can play, like, that weirdo in the corner that you you aren't sure if they're going to snap and lose it, who, like, you'll have a conversation with, but you're, like, you're kind of a little bit on ease and, like, their breath is a little bit off. Can he play quiet? Because on Thundermans, he was, like, super in-your-face, loud and obnoxious. If you tell me he can play quiet, I'll go with Chris Grace. I have no idea. Oh, okay. I, I, um, I found him. I personally haven't ever seen him in anything. Okay. I just I just thought he was a good uh, typecasting, and it was also a little bit... That's someone else who wasn't white. But I have no idea if he can play quiet. That... that I I would have to ask. Okay. Yeah, 
I don't know. From what I've seen on Thunderman's, like he is <laughs> super loud and obnoxious and and funny. Like yeah, I, I think he's definitely very funny. Like he could be the O face guy, but I don't know if he could be. I don't know if he could be the uh, the Milton. All right. Well, he's then let's leave Milton too out. Then let's leave Milton alone for a little bit, and we'll come back okay. to him in a bit. Sure. Because I do think I think Milton. I I just don't think he could be he can be an attractive dude. Okay. Like I think he needs to be kind of like the weirdo on the outside of you society. Put those glasses on anybody are they attractive? I mean, hipster glasses are in. But the but the I know bottle cap ones. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those things where oh man, if he just took his glasses off and put on contacts. But even Stephen Root, like without his glasses, like he's you can tell he's a character actor as opposed to kind of like a leading man type. Okay. But that All said, right. Stephen Root is one cla- uh, one classy son of a bitch. He can he can play it all. I mean, he was on Pushing Daisies, and he was a he's a suave guy. Yeah, I mean, he's. I mean, it's it. You look at him now, and you're like, oh yeah, no, that dude's not a weirdo. But but and so I I'm kind of like having that I thing in my head. So I'm kind of picturing him how I first saw him, which is in Office Space, and even in like in Get Out, he plays a weirdo. Yeah, I think I saw him on was it what was that radio show that uh, something in the '90s? I think he was like the boss on some sitcom. I'm looking it up. Quantum Leap? No, he's in an episode of Quantum Leap. <laughs> Unless I'm wrong, I I thought it was him that he was. It was with um the guy who I you know I I probably need more coffee, which is why I'm forgetting everybody's names. Uh, <laughs> he's in a couple oh episodes gosh, of Malcolm in the Middle. Of things. No, not Malcolm in the Middle. He was in um. It was about like a radio something. What was that show that the guy who uh who was on the Simpsons and the radio uh, had the suicide his wife her wife like did a oh now I can't think of it hi I'm Troy McClure yeah I am Troy McClure is played by I Phil well, Hartman an actual actor's name Troy McClure no, no, no probably but Phil Hartman is the person you're thinking yeah of. Phil Hartman there you go I think it's called news radio news radio there you go was, was Stephen Root on that I swear I thought he was let's find out if he wasn't then it was yeah Stephen Root there he is Jimmy James Anyway, so that, I, I remember him from that. Oh, yeah. There he is, right on the poster. But yeah, so, so I don't know. Okay, we'll leave Milton for the side for now. So yeah, we'll, who, we'll who, go back who, to Milton. Who do you have next? Uh, next up, I have Lawrence. Oh, I mean, we should stay in the office. Let's do Lumberg before we do Lawrence. Okay, got it. I, I can go so, first for this one. Yeah, uh, go ahead. So for Lawrence, uh, I'm sorry. For Lumberg, he needs to be someone who is dry, deadpan, but also funny. And so I... The person that I have for Bill Lumberg is Don Cheadle. Interesting. Because his character in House of Lies is kind of 50% this. Basically, it's Don Cheadle whenever he just, like, he drops everything and is just dry delivery comedy. And because that's really what Lumberg is. It's it's just dry comedy. And he does it very... And he, and Gary Cole does it very well. Like, that's the sort of character that he's played in everything that's who he is in studio 60 that's it's basically everything he's been since wings and don Cheadle is he has the potential to be broad comedy i mean he did stuff for like funny or die but he's also someone who's capable of like bring it down and doing drama and so that's why i think don Cheadle would be good because he'd understand the comedy and kind of what can be how to how to dry delivery anything yeah, I'd, I'd totally be happy with, with Don Cheadle. The person that I was thinking of was Keegan-Michael Key. Oh, that also because works. Because what I was thinking was, if you take his character from Parks and Rec, let's say, 
where he is like the the nicest person in the world. He's smart. Have you seen the Parks and Rec where he's on? Yes. He okay. So he's like super nice, right? But then you take you take that attitude, but put what he's saying from when he can be a jerk, like uh, when he's in Pitch Perfect two. Yeah, honestly, that's exactly what I was thinking because in Pitch Perfect two. That his demeanor as that character is almost exactly what we want for this movie. Yeah, we want that demeanor, but with his like niceness of a Parks and Rec. I mean, Ke- Keegan Michael Key is probably perfect. Let's let's go with Keegan Michael Key. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I can totally sold. see him doing that. Okay, now let's talk about Lawrence. Okay. Um, yeah, Lawrence. Lawrence is definitely that sketch. I mean, he is a sketch comic guy to begin right. with, right? So. Um, I, I was kind of going going through, you know, could it be like uh, Kate McKinnon? Maybe yeah. Hannibal Burris is too quiet. But then I thought, what about Ken Jong? You think Ken Jong is okay? I mean, a loud, we, obnoxious we, neighbor. I mean, he kind of is. Do you, that dude's name is Diedrich Bader? Doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I didn't think. I thought he was some. Yeah. I mean, I know him from the Drew, uh, the Drew Carey show. Yeah, that's what I know him from too and like he's a funny guy he'll pop up in different things from time to time and i always find him very good at what he does he's very uh middle america comedy and so i think that he i i honestly think he plays a good opposite for peter just because peter is the person who's been on rails doing what he's been told and hates it lawrence is someone who's kind of been on rails doing what he's told doing getting the jobs that he's able to do but and he may not like it but it's not destroying his life he still finds joy in the things that he likes that's a good point i was thinking about an obnoxious neighbor i was not thinking about who his character actually was on the inside this is why i don't write novels by the way because i don't think too deeply about characters um but uh but yeah and i also can't see ken jong being a uh, uh working as as a construction guy well it doesn't so, necessarily have to be construction it could be anything sure. I mean, yeah. it could it could literally be he could switch places with uh, the Jennifer Aniston character for all I care, and he goes and works in a restaurant because he just needs to deal with oh no because he hates people. So anything where he doesn't have to deal with people, yeah. But there's lots of air. I mean, yeah. the whole point of you know he being can, outside, he can be a park ranger for all I care. Right. Okay. But, so is this where you're going to say Ron Swanson? No, but I did have Hannibal Burris. Really? Yeah. Nice. So I okay. Let's do it. I mean, the reason why I had Hannibal Burris is for a lot of the reasons you said. I mean, he plays, he has a similar demeanor to who, to what Peter does, like, as a component. Like, he kind of has, like, he's perfectly happy just kind of going through the motions and doing his own thing. And he ends up doing a job that he kind of has a dry humor about. But it, it doesn't, it doesn't define him as a person. It isn't his life. And he's able to just, yeah, man, this is just, this, these are the cards I've been dealt. It's all right. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, I I think of Hannibal Burris as I, I mean I know that's great. I mean he was on my list, and uh, I I just was like oh he's just not loud, but maybe I'm putting too much on like on the surface of for some of these characters, which which goes back to the Milton thing, and I'm like can he do quiet? Can he do loud? Let's just I think we go with your guy for Milton. I also this think whole be... like loud thing is is making me realize that uh... he doesn't necessarily need to be loud because I often think that like I mean there definitely are the loud character basically all of the comedians that we cast for the main four will be loud enough yeah and I think it's funny if we sur- if we uh, throw in the quiet Hannibal Burris I also think it's funny if we don't necessarily need to see him banging on the wall and shouting something it's like we hear something being said and then Hannibal Burris responds via text 
<laughs> yeah. He hears That's everything true. and just yeah. like t- chimes in like with words or something. And I don't know. I just find that funny. Yeah, no, that totally works. And you know what? It would be funny if Milton weren't mumbling these things. If he were just saying this stuff out loud and nobody's listening to him. Yeah. Or like it, like he just tweeting. Like honestly, if it's because you can incorporate technology for all these different things. So did sure, you yeah. see, did you see um, uh, Fault in Our Stars? And the way they interacted with technology was super fascinating because phones and Twitter and Facebook and text messaging is a part of our lives now. And honestly, if it's if Milton and Lawrence like are the phone technology people, Lawrence is texting people and Milton is just complaining and posting things on Twitter. And then finally you get to the very end and you see his Twitter page and its followers zero. Yeah, that's perfect. I like and it. he's still posting these things that no one can hear because literally no one follows him. I just think that'd be funny. Yeah. All right. Chris Grace it is. Chris Grace for Milton. Oh, that... Hannibal Burris. I still don't know if we necessarily need to go with Chris Grace, but we'll go with Hannibal Burris. We'll still come yeah. back to Milton. Okay. Okay. Let's talk... Uh, let's talk about the Bobs. We only need one, right? I cast two just because that way they can go back and forth, but tell me who yours is. So I went with Jermaine Clement because I could totally see him breaking into song when it comes up with um, for time to sing Michael Bolton or whoever. Or to sing Kelly Clarkson. Exactly. That uh, would right. be very Kelly funny. Here yes, I could totally see him doing Kelly Clarkson. Um, and I just, I thought he he has that comic kind of obnoxiousness that um but subdued obnoxiousness that i think can work i just think he's a good actor and he, he could definitely do this role i agree i i like jermaine clement and i think that's a good choice uh, we may end up going with that i did have two so let me tell you the two that i had and then okay. i'll say let's go with jermaine clement and whichever one of these two that you like best all right my first bob is mark evan jackson who is on the good place and he's on brooklyn 99 uh, oh yeah, yeah, no, I know who he is, and he's just one of the. He's also a very dry comedic actor who's yeah, he'd be perfect, hysterically funny. But he's also another white guy. But in an office, that's kind of to be expected, especially if they bring in someone from the outside to kind of like kick butt and take names. But speaking right. of kicking butt and taking names, the other Bob that I cast is an actress named Sydney Knoll. You may know her from Glow, and she's also in Black Panther. She is. In Glow, so she's obviously awesome and very funny, but she's also an incredibly intimidating presence. So it's funny if we're going if we for the Bobs a little bit, we go with a different kind of intimidation, but also comedy. Like if because she, she can be silly and goofy, but especially in Glow, she can also be very sweet and and vulnerable. And I just think she's a good actress, and I think she should be in more things. Yeah, let's go with her. So Jermaine Clement and Sydney Knoll. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I mean, we can always throw in the other guy as, like, the Tchotchke's manager if we want. Yeah. I mean, he's so good that he's never going to stop working, so I'm not worried about him. Yeah. I mean, the same could be true about Jermaine Clement. Did you see the uh, Flight of the Concords latest thing on um, HBO? I started watching it, but I, I wasn't ready to sit down for, like, a whole hour of that, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's super fun. I have some friends that went on tour, like, saw them do that on tour a couple of years ago. Oh, that's like, amazing. They, they, yeah, they, they went around. I mean, it's obviously a live recording, but they, they did that a tour of it. They got interviewed, I want to say, on Colbert a few months ago, and that interview is so entertaining. They're just funny dudes. Oh, yeah. Other than Milton, the only other actor or character I had is uh, Tom Smikowski. 
Yeah, Tom Segura. I mean, there's others like the Chachki's waiter. Yeah. Who has all the flair. There's. I just um, don't care about this. People. I didn't, yeah, the other boss, like not. Joanne's boss. Joanna. Oh yeah, me. Joanne's boss. But no, there was like the other manager that he has that's in like oh. that Peter has his own like two scenes. Who comes and there's, tells him about the the cover letter? Yeah. I mean, like, there's the O Face guy. There's there's the person who I mean, there, that, who that has an iconic line about the Mondays. But like, we don't need to cast her. No, I don't. No, that because that could be anybody. And honestly, I I'm perfectly comfortable cutting the O Face guy. <laughs> yes, you and my wife. But this guy, I just. He goes from deeply miserable to deeply happy, and I find that funny. And the only person I could think of to to play that was Jim O'Hare, who you know as Jerry from Parks and Rec. Oh, yes, he would be good. I mean, I I can't I can't say no to some, to to a Parks and Rec person. I didn't think much about it for whatever reason. The the only person that popped into my head was Clint Howard, Ron Howard's brother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I'd rather go with Jerry. I didn't. I really didn't think about about this character much. That's fine. Uh, so yeah, let's go with Jim O'Hare. Cool. Then uh, I guess we should go back and do Milton now, since that's our cast, and then we'll get into our uh, writer director. I mean, in terms of just like character actors, uh, like another person that would probably be great is someone like Joe Lo Trulio. Yeah. Who's on Brooklyn Nine Nine? Oh yeah, I mean I know him from Wet Out American Summer. Oh yeah, because yeah. he's great. But like, I mean, honestly. Anybody from What Hot American Summer is probably amazing. Yeah. Uh, who's the... I mean, and they're sketch comedy people is what they started as, which is why they'd be perfect for a role like this. Right. So... Oh, so, I mean, Michael Ian Black, who, you know, also writes picture books. Uh, hey, if you want to get someone who does picture books in here, let's go with Michael Ian Black. <laughs> okay, let's do it. And also because he's hysterical and I think he should be in more things. So let's talk about writer-director. Now, I actually have a writer-director and as opposed to a separate writer and director for this one. Yeah, the person that I that I have would probably be a writer director, although I just threw one of his common partners as the writer for the hell of it. I I'm not as so th- this is an interesting thing. Comedies are harder to come up with directors for for me because usually the directors that people know of are the ones who win awards and the ones who do the action stuff. And then you can't just make Paul Feig do every single comedy because he <laughs> comes up on like every episode of this. So and so like I. I wasn't, I wasn't sure, like where to even really look, like comedy movies that I like. I feel like I watch more comedy TV shows, and then figuring out which director of TV shows. Like I know you pulled from TV shows a lot in the past, and I think that's great. But the names are, it's like, oh, if you tell me they directed these episodes or they wrote this run for, like they were a showrunner for these episodes or something, like that helps. But it's hard, and so I just went with Edgar Wright. Because he's one of my favorite comedy directors. But again, I don't know if he would do the movie the way that we cast it. I don't know if this cast is an Edgar Wright cast, other than Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> what, uh, what did Edgar Wright do with Aubrey Plaza in it? Scott Pilgrim. Oh, right. Good point. So this isn't like he, this isn't Scott Pilgrim. It's not a Simon Pegg movie. But I could totally see him doing it and like his quick cuts... You know, if we went in that direction, maybe the heist part would be a little more effective. But if we did that, I, we would have had to like bring him up up front, and the, the whole movie would be kind of different. So, oh, I I'm actually, not... I actually would leave the heist the way it is because they literally go in, they do this whole moment, and they just put a, a disc in a computer, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, "Oh, that was it. Yeah. That was no, easy. No, that was great. I agree. I mean, of course, doing it would be different. with this, it wouldn't be a a disc. It would be a flash drive because that floppy disk was hysterical. 
but it's just something that that just they, they set something down and just starts projecting the thing into the air. It's literally it's not even plugged into their system. It's just a wireless whatever. Yeah, it's Mission Impossible style, you know. They destroy the wireless router and they replace it with a wireless router they built themselves that actually works and also does this other thing. Yeah, there you go. In that vein, I also pulled a writer-director from television who's been a showrunner on Curb Your Enthusiasm, Silicon Valley, and Barry. And I did that because when I'm looking for comedy directors and writers, Mike Judge honestly kept coming up. Like, he's still very active and still doing things. And so I was kind of thinking of who 20 years later is kind of the new Mike Judge or someone who probably is like similar or grew up with this movie, but kind of in that same vein. And the writer director that I have is Alec Berg. Okay. Alec Berg is a producer on Silicon Valley now, but he also, he is the writer and executive producer of Barry. Uh, he was a producer on The Dictator and Borat, and but he also did ridiculous things like Euro Trip and Cat in the Hat. Ooh, Cat in the Hat was not good. And it, yeah, he's also an exec. <laughs> he's also an exec producer on Silicon Valley, which is another office comedy and Curb Your Enthusiasm. And Mike Judge, yeah, right. So someone who would kind of get the blessing from Mike Judge to move on and kind of like take over for him. Yeah, but I who, think some, and Mike Judge also came from TV. Right. This was his first movie, right? I think so. I think that's right. I'm not... I'm I mean, it came it. before... Oh, what was the one about? Idiocracy. Yeah, it was definitely before Idiocracy. Idiocracy, I think, is 2006. Yeah. Fun story. I went to a Seder with the dude who wrote Idiocracy. Interesting. Is that the whole story? That's the entire story. It's I not just, that fun. No, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if, if he works on Silicon Valley, presumably he's worked with him. I mean, and, you know, throw in The Cat in the Hat is a picture book, and it all comes back to, to me, so. Exactly, and uh, that's honestly the most important part. Yes, me. Exactly, I agree. That's, wh- that's why we're here today. I know. Uh, excellent. Yeah, let's go with him, Alec Berg. All right, cool. Then, let's go over what we've got. We are remaking Office Space. Our cast is... Peter will be played by Dev Patel. Joanna will be played by Mackenzie Davis. There is no Michael Bolton. There is only Kelly Clarkson. And that will be played by Aubrey Plaza. Samir will be played by by Aparna Nonsherla. Uh, Milton is going to be Michael Ian Black. Lawrence will be Hannibal Burris. Lumberg is going to be Keegan-Michael Key. The Bobs will be Jermaine Clement and Sidney Noel. Noel. Tom Smikowski will be Jim O'Hare, and this will all be written and directed by Alec Berg. And then, of course, the fax machine will be recast as a Wi-Fi router. Done. And I'd watch it. Good, because that is our office space. So, Josh, what, what books are you working on now? What's the next book you have that's coming out? So my, I have a book that just came out on March 1st called It's Not Hansel and Gretel. It is illustrated by Edwardian Taylor. And um, it's my 10th book, actually. Congratulations. Book, oh, thanks. My first book was Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast, which you read pretty much right when it came out, I think. And um, and three and a half years later to the day, I have my 10th book. So I've had, I've had a very fortunate run here of uh, publishing books. It's Not Hansel and Gretel is um, the second book in the It's Not a Fairy Tale series. It's Not Jack and the Beanstalk is the first one. That one's already out. And uh, so I'm actually working on... A book called It's Not Little Red Riding Hood right now, which is a, a third one in that series. And next fall, in, 
the fall of 2019, I have um, a book called How to Code a Roller Coaster, which is a picture book about coding. That's, that's awesome. For my day job. Yeah, this, it's actually the second one. There's How to Code a Sandcastle is already out. And so it's, it's, it's a picture book for, you know, ages 0 to 10, 5 to 10, if you want to say. And, and uh, it's about a little girl named Pearl and her robot who they use coding concepts to build a sandcastle. So, yeah, so that's, that's what I'm working on. And hopefully more Pancake and Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast books. I'm, I'm about to revise a fourth one of those. And, uh, yeah, the whole picture book thing. It's fun. You should give it a shot sometime. Uh, I'll have to consider it. That's amazing. That's it's very prolific for three and a half years. Well, I wrote a lot of them in the years leading up to it. To that fair. makes sense. Nonetheless. Yeah. yeah. I And honestly, if any of you listeners have kids, and even if you don't, these books are wonderful and they're sweet and they're fun and ev- everyone will enjoy these. Like, that's why when Rachel and I were doing Rachel and Sam read a story, we were so excited about that that Josh reached out to us because we really, really loved uh, Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, you can find me on, I'm just, I'm Josh Funk Books everywhere. So joshfunkbooks.com, Josh Funk Books on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, probably on Facebook too, but I don't really post that much on Facebook. So yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm mostly, I'm mostly on Twitter. Twitter is kind of my home, but I I like Instagram too. And you're a writer. Of course, Twitter is your home. Yeah. And, and if, uh, if anyone is interested in writing picture books, I do have some resources on my website. It's all totally free. It's just like a bunch of lessons that I've learned over the years. So if you, um, I know you have a lot of writers, uh, in your community. If you ever had ideas about writing picture books, it's a totally different format than movies, obviously, and novels for that matter. But, uh, but I've, I've kind of did a big brain dump a few years back of everything I've ever learned. And it's, it's on my website too. If you're interested in figuring out, you know, what does make a picture book and how does that work? That is a fantastic resource. Thank you. All right. Well, great. Thank you very much for being a guest on the podcast. If you're interested in following the podcast, you can go to Ideal Remake on Twitter or Instagram, or we are Ideal Remake Podcast on Facebook. If you're interested in finding out more about me, I'm Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H on Twitter, because I'm also a writer, and that's why Twitter is kind of more my home. And I just want to say, Josh, thank you so much for being a guest. Uh, this episode. It was amazing finally getting to talk to you for, like, real, instead of all of our Twitter and Facebook interactions to actually, yeah, like, sit down Thanks and have a conversation me. with you. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing this movie. It was super fun to sit down and get to watch it again. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I haven't probably haven't watched it in five or ten years, but uh, I watch it all the time in college, constantly. Over and over on repeat. And it's a good movie for that. The jokes still work, with the exception of a yeah. couple like questionable ones where they use couple of uh slurs other than that everything's great what it's such a fun movie if you haven't if if you've gotten to the end of this podcast and you haven't watched office space trust us go watch it agreed all right josh have a good one and let me just say to all of you out there that if you haven't listened to this podcast and if you haven't subscribed if you haven't suggested or recommended this podcast to anyone you know well that's the last straw and i'm gonna put strychnine in the guacamole